0: Oh my, wow, wow. Last week, if you missed, you need to go online and watch week one of Loser. I taught this, and it's a difficult thing to just sum up and do a recap, but it's you will lose. Everybody say it. Say, you will lose. You will lose. lose. It's going to happen. Everyone will lose. The best in the business lose. Alabama. Nick Saban, you will lose. It's gonna happen. The best lose. Everyone falls down. Everyone struggles. Everyone fails. But not everybody gets up. Not everybody rebounds. Not everybody takes that next step. There's a certain type of person that God has designed you to be to fall and then to get back up. He's given you something so that you can do that. And that's what this series is about. So if you miss that, you gotta watch last week, um, there's nothing more annoying than a backseat driver, all right? How many people are a backseat driver? How many people are annoyed by backseat drivers? (laughs) Right, like our leadership team was going on a trip and Carmen Smith is on our leadership team and she is a horrible backseat driver. We're driving, we we were driving this week, all four of us in the car, and I mean like, there's brake lights, like, five cars ahead. And she goes, like, what? <laughs> just, just, just want you to see what the, you, you want me to make sure that I'm driving the automobile. And she, she's just like a horrible backseat driver. And then this weekend uh, I was driving around with our family and my wife uh, said I was a horrible backseat driver. Cause I'm like looking on my phone and and we get to this light around Easton, and you could go two ways, and I'm like, you should have gone left. And she's like, Oh. We were leaving uh, somewhere the other night, Pies and Pints, and we turned out on Morris Road, and it was because I said, you should just turn right and get out of here, and then we were stuck in traffic forever. She's like, I shouldn't listen to you. It's awful to have a backseat driver. Like, driving can be one of the most anxious things that we ever have to do because of the people around us, right? Like, driving can be fun, and then driving can be awful. Remember when you were getting your driver's license and you were taking the test. How many people remember that? Are you guys excited, for those of you that haven't got your driver's license, to get it? It's an amazing thing. I remember, it's, you know, actually with, with your age, you guys care less about getting your license. Would you say that's true? How many of you guys are really excited to get your license? Raise your hand. Okay, so you're still excited about it. They're saying that you guys are more connected now. We used to have to get in a car to go connect. Now you guys just go to your room and connect, I don't know, um, and just get online, so, so it's just different, but like, it's still exciting to get your license, and I remember when I was doing that, and I was like so anxious, because I, I, I didn't want to fail. I did not want to fail. It's like, I knew if I go and I take this test, that like, if I fail, all my friends are going to be like, you are such a loser, and then I also knew that if I failed, like, I would lose that freedom to, like, get in the car and drive. I mean, you, you've never seen a bigger smile on my face than after I passed my driver's test and drove away in, in my stepmom's uh, minivan. <laughs> it was just really something special. and You know, just, just, just grinning, man, just cheese. I'm alone. I'm driving. But when I was in that driver's test, I remember, like, just pulling up to a stop sign. And like making a complete stop, which I have never done since then, <laughs> but making a complete stop and, and the, the instructor going, huh. and I'm like, oh, dear Lord, what did I do? I'm like on the white line or I don't know what I did, but the anxiety that comes from having someone who's always looking over your shoulder when you're driving is difficult. It's like, whoa, and then the test takes it to another level because you're afraid you might lose that freedom. You're afraid of what everyone might say. And I will never forget the reason I was afraid of what everyone might say is because of what I said when people would come back and not pass their test. When someone would go and take their driver's license test and not pass, I was like, you are a loser, man. Like, what is wrong? Like, I thought, like, I definitely thought less of them. Like, you are not, you you are not a very developed human being. You need more time, more time to develop before you go out on the road. Mainly the girls, but generally there were some guys in there too. Girls are bad drivers. Just, that is, we're making that line of demarcation in this church. We're going to (laughs) admit that women are bad drivers. Well, let's just put it this way. Men are generally better drivers. Are there any females that would admit to that? Okay, just whatever. I'll move on. I better watch out. Um, but when you go through that type of like just driving and you have someone over your shoulder and gasping and you ever have, you ever have anybody like hit the floor like they're hitting the brake for you? It's like, they're, they're, what are you doing? You're just smacking the bottom of the car. And then everyone else in the car gets more nervous, by the way, when you are being a backseat driver. Everyone else is just chilling, and then someone goes, and people go, what? It's like, nothing. We're fine. I'm just not moving at the pace of the passenger. It happens, right? It causes this anxiety. and That's what can happen to us in life, is when we believe that our performance determines our value. Like when we live in this world where when we're driving through life, and we feel that if we are not perfect, then we are not important. If we are not, if we don't pass the test, if we only win, then we, uh, we are valuable, and when we lose, we're not. And the driving kind of idea, that, that test is that moment where it's like, okay, if I'm, if I'm good enough, then, then, then I pass the test, and therefore I'm valuable, and people call me valuable, and, and I'm, I'm important in the world, but if I fail, then I'm not important. And so many of us, we attach our value to our performance. And for some of us, it's gotten to a level of perfectionism where anything less than perfect means you're not important. And so if you don't get an A+, if you don't pass with flying colors, if you don't get the the guy or get the girl or get the job or make the money or just get it, however it is, you just have to be perfect Because in that perfectionism, you've put your value. You've decided, and so many of us decide, we go through life believing that our performance determines whether or not we are a valuable individual. And so then we put this thing of perfection on us, and so many of us are walking through life trying to be perfect, and we're attaching our value to our performance. Perfectionism is performance-based value. Like, if you live in this world where, like, you have to be perfect, and if you're not, you're not important, then you're living in a world where you can never be important because you'll never be perfect because everybody falls and everybody fails and everyone will lose. At a certain time, you will lose, and if you hold yourself to a standard that says, if I'm perfect, then I'm important, then you will never in your mind, in your heart, be, be important. And if you live in this kind of thing where you let perfectionism drive your value, then you are going to invite into your world a voice or a set of voices or a set of lives, a set of beliefs that constantly tells you that when you are not perfect, you're not important. Brene Brown said it this way. It's always helpful to remember that when perfectionism is driving, shame is riding shotgun. When we let perfectionism be the standard with which we place and make our value, then that means that we are inviting into our lives basically someone who sits there and any time we mess up, they tell you not that your performance is bad, but because you've attached perfectionism to performance, but that you are bad, that you lack value. Not just that you made a mistake, not just that you had a misstep, But that if perfectionism and perfection equals value, then when you mess up, you don't have value. And so many of us live in this. We live in a world where we base our love for ourselves and we believe that God has based his love for us on whether or not we're perfect and whether or not we perform. I mean, how many of you are in here And you believe that because of something that you did last week, something that you said last night, that God doesn't love you the same way. You see, one of the most important realities is that you have to see a new perspective of how God views you. You have to understand what it is and why God loves you. And this is a revolutionary truth, this is a change of your mind, a change of your heart, a change of the way you see you, a change of the way you see other people, is when you understand the way God sees you. And God doesn't hold you to the same measure of perfectionism that you hold you. He actually loves you for not what you do. He doesn't sit in the car and go, if you pass the test and you're perfect or you perform, I'll love you. He actually sits in the car, whether you can drive the car or not, no matter what you do, and he says, before we go, before we press the gas, before you make the turn, before you make the decision, before you make the mistake, no matter what it is, with your successes down this road, with your failures down this road, I just want you to know, I love you for you. You see, God's love for you is based on who you are, not what you do. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God loves you for who you are, not what you do? Not, 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 not Christians, like followers of Christ who grew up in the church. Not like you, you know that's true. Not like you know that's an answer. Like there's Christians, you know, you know, that you were bought with a price, you know that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. So on the test, you know, no, my righteousness is as filthy rags, nothing I can do can earn earn favoritism with God, God loves me, you know, like in your head, you know the answer. But that's that's not the true test. The test is whether or not you are sitting in this room today and you believe that you are less valuable because of something that you did. That, you, that God doesn't care about you the same amount? That he's like upset with you and doesn't wanna sit with you and doesn't wanna ride through life with you? You see, God loves you for who you are, not what you do, but why do you love you? Do you love you for the same reasons that God loves you? Or do you love you based upon what you do? Do you give yourself a pass when you perform perfectly and then when you don't say, I'm not lovable? Do you believe that when you mess up, that when you trip, when you fail, that it's not a commentary on just behavior, it's not a commentary on just just life and you just kind of muster it up, but that it means, man, it's not just a failure thing that I did, it's a failure who I am. What is really driving you? You see, the reality is, is, so many of us, our love for ourselves might be based on what we do and not who we are. You might be living in this trap, this, this trap that exists that says, my performance determines my value. And God says, crystal clear, your performance does not determine your value. And so if, you, if you're going to like start to see life differently, if you're going to be the kind of person who gets up after they fall, if you're going to fail, then you have to be able to put that failure in perspective. And the only way to put the failure in perspective is to see your failure from a different point of view. And the best point of view is God's point of view. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul was one of the many people in the Scriptures who had his name changed. You see, he was originally Saul. And he was a man who was part of the leadership in Jerusalem. He was one of the authoritative figures. He was an expert in the law. He was part of the Sanhedrin, one of the judiciary kind of leaders of Israel. And when Christianity broke out, he was commissioned to go and snuff out this new thing, the way, the Christians, the Christ followers, the little Christs. And they were following Jesus and they were preaching about who Jesus was and they were preaching about the resurrection and it was standing in stark contrast to a lot of the different systems of law and the way that people live their life and it had this whole following that was stirring up and people were going and living their lives for Jesus. And so Saul was commissioned to go and actually try and convict and uh, punish people who were followers of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that Saul oversaw, he watched as Christians were put to death for their faith. That's who this man was. He was not just a regular person who has mistakes and missteps and failures and and performance problems in his life in whatever area, he was a person that was specifically persecuting and torturing God's people. Needless to say, he had a horrible resume, he did horrible things, and the story of Saul is the same story as all of us, is that God loves us for who we are, not for what we do, because the story of Saul, when he gets turned into Paul, is God meets him in the midst of his journey, continuing to persecute and says, hey, stop doing that. I have a different life for you. And he doesn't say, but here's what we need to do. We need to go back and we need to fix all your problems. We need to erase the past. We need to make you kind of a A good name, we need to give you a better reputation, we need to fix all that. He goes, you're done being Saul, and I love you for who you are, and now we're going to have you go, and you're going to actually be a catalyst for the growth of the church. And after he became that, the tables turned. He was once persecuting, torturing, and executing. Now he was the guy that was persecuted, tortured, and sometimes left dead, they thought, but he woke back up. I mean, Paul was a guy who then went out and shared the gospel so intentionally, so so radically in the midst of a polytheistic uh, society that he was then tortured. There's a story in the book of Acts where he's on boats and he gets shipwrecked and he ends up on a On a beach one day, and he gets attacked by a snake, and his body goes almost rigor mortis like he's dead, and then he comes back to life, and the people believe in Jesus, and this guy got just tortured and dominated for his faith. Essentially, like, if you looked at Paul and said, hey, is he being successful, you would look at what was happening to him and say, no, he's failing, He's getting dominated, his ships are wrecking, people are turning away from God, people are dying, and then what happens is he goes and he started a church in a place called Corinth, and eventually he went and wrote letters to these people to try to inspire them to stay with their faith because after these people received the message of Jesus Christ, now they were the ones who were being persecuted for their faith. And they were the ones that were, were losing their Their names and losing their homes and losing their losing their families and losing their dignity and sometimes losing their lives. And so they were losing heart. They were losing. Are 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 we important? Are we valuable? And you may not be you know failing or struggling in life today because you're so rigorously promoting the gospel that you're being persecuted for it. But you may be in a similar situation where you are moving forward with what you believe to do, and you are failing, and you are trying to see that that failure does not define you. And Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, I want to show you guys. I want you to see where your value lies in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your persecutions, in the midst of your your struggle. In the midst of your loss. And what he does is he says, you guys, I want you to get a new perspective. And he says, you have this treasure in jars of clay. I got a jar here. He says, you have this treasure in jars of clay. And he starts to, to, to paint a picture to give them a different perspective. He says, you have this jar and it's the outward jar is Crumbling and breaking, and you're failing, and you're struggling, and you're getting crushed, and you're getting persecuted, and everything you're putting out there is not necessarily having the impact. And you might call yourself a failure, but you got to see beyond just the jar and see what's inside the jar. You have to get a new perspective. And so he starts to write this. I just want to unpack it. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He says, I don't want you guys to lose your heart in the midst of the failure. What does that mean? I don't want you guys to believe that the outward determines your value. I don't want you to believe that what's happening to you steals how God sees you. He goes on after this passage, just the next part, and he says in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about how that we are all living in tents. Do you know that that you were created in the image of God? You are not a body. Your body, the Bible says, is a tent, and you are actually a spirit. The Bible says God is spirit, and we were created in his image. The scriptures teach that we were formed from the dirt. And so Paul goes on to say, you're not you're not a tent. Think about that. You guys are not a tent. Think about going camping. Yeah, you go camping, you got your tent. It's temporary. It does okay against the weather and the storms. It might get eaten up, it might get thrashed by wind. It might it might get Torn over by a bear? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't camp, but, but maybe you do. If you believe that you're a tent, you've got the wrong perspective. He says you've got to get your eyes off of the tent and look at what's inside the tent. It's you, and God sees you. He doesn't see your failure and say, I judge you, love you, care about you based upon how well your tent is doing. He looks at you and he says, there's the heart, there's the soul, there's what's inside. Don't lose your true value. It's not based upon what happens to the tent. It's not based upon what happens to the jar. It's something on the inside. And he says it's being renewed day by day, which does not mean that every day you get more and more cumulatively more valuable to God. It means that right now, when you were created in the image of God, you were made spirit. You were made eternal. And God loves you for that And being renewed every day doesn't mean that it becomes more new and better every day. It means you need reminded every day of who you really are. It's not the outside, there's something on the inside. You need a new perspective. You got to see it, you got to look beyond. Look what he goes on to say. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, do you understand that what's happening to the tent, what's happening to the jar is so minuscule compared to who you are in the eternity that you will have with God? And he's trying to give you a different perspective. He's trying to say, your life is a camping trip on the weekend, That's all life is. It's a vapor. It's fast. You live in a tent, and different things can happen to different tents and jars all the time. But that does not represent who you are. And the more bad things happen to the tent, the more bright, the more beautiful, the more wonderful the inside shines. Think about it. The more it's cracked, the more it's broken, the more who you really are shines through. Some of us are walking around, and we have everything perfect on the outside. And therefore, we fail to see the beauty that really lies within. We think that our beauty rests in how pretty the tent is, how wonderful the jar is. We believe that. And God says, no, 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 no. Those struggles that you're going through, you can consider them joy. Because what they're doing for you is giving you a new perspective. You are valuable for you. Not because of the jar not because of the tent. So what happens when that gets cracked away, when that struggle happens, when that failure happens? You just get an opportunity to go, oh man, the flesh, it's weak. Oh, my my will is weak. My decisions are, are, are not perfect. I fall seven times, it happens. But man, all that does is just remind me of the beauty that is me. One day the tent will go away, and one day the jar will go away, and one day the dirt will go back into the ground. But your soul is eternal. Look what he says, it just outweighs it. So fix our eyes not on what is seen. Not on what is seen. Your job as a follower of Christ, if in fact you are, is to not look at your failures. In terms of what you attribute your value from. You've got to fix your eyes on what your value truly is and look past your failures. That's why the righteous fall and get back up. Because they don't believe that their value lies in their successes. They believe their value lies with what God has said and who they are on the inside. God has made you so special and wonderful. If we believe that our value is derived from whether we have success or pass the test or make the money or have the relationship work out, then we are going to constantly feel like a failure. Because no matter how well you do, the jar's gonna crack, the tent's gonna give way. But what God has made you is eternal. You gotta fix your eyes on something different. What he's talking about is the the ultimate expression of faith. The ultimate expression of who you really are is what God says you are. Don't fix your eyes on the brokenness and the failure and the loss. Everyone loses. Not everyone gets back up. Those that get back up are the ones that focus on who they really are. They believe in their heart, I'm a champion. They believe in their heart, I'm a winner. They believe in their heart, I'm righteous. Oh, yeah, the jar got cracked. Oh, yeah, the tent blew away. Nothing's, that's not me. That's not me. Who I am is who God says I am. Eternal, loved, beautiful, a winner all the time. Those are the people who, in the face of the greatest losses, stand back up. It's real, you guys. Fix your eyes, fix them on who you really are. Fix them on the gospel, fix them on God's goodness, not on your failures. But what is unseen, your spirit, who he made you. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It just wraps it all up. It's eternal. Think about this. We judge each other, we judge ourselves on what we see, don't we? What you see in the mirror, what you see online, what you see walking down the hall what you see driving down the street, that's how we place our value. There's so much disparity. Hang with me. So much disparity in what is seen. Some jars are cracked. Some jars are perfect. Some jars are shattered. Some jars are brand new. Some are bigger. Some are smaller. If we decided to say our value is based upon what is seen, then we would have Seven billion different levels of value, and everyone would be different. But what God says is that your soul is perfect, it's eternal. Do you know that you will leave your tent one day, you will leave your jar one day, but your spirit will live forever? You are an eternal being. You live in a tent, you live in a jar, you live in a van down by the river. Sorry. That's all it is. But one day that will go away and you are eternal. You're like God. That is how he has made you in his image, eternal. Spirit, light. Every person in this room, every person around the world has the exact same amount of eternal value. The difference is some people focus on what's outside And some people know what's really on the inside. Loser, what kind are you? Are you the kind that sees? Are you the kind that's tricked? Are you the kind that's lied to? Have you been sold out and bought into this lie that you are a jar? You see, the reality is is that more truth leads to perspective and we all have to get a new perspective. We all have to get a new perspective. Think about when you were watching football in the, in the early 90s or in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, before they had the, the review and before they would go to the cameras, right? There are certain plays that we, we call successes, but now we look back, they, they call timeout, they go look at the high-definition video, and they see that, oh, he actually was out of bounds. It's called perspective. It's truth. So what happens is, is when you have more truth, you get more perspective. And God is truth. He is life. He sees you the way you really are. So you have to gain a new perspective. You have to get a different vantage point. You need a pile-on camera of your life. Because if you just go through life looking at what people see in low definition, black and white, you're not going to get the true story. You need to know what's really going on. And what's really going on is you are eternal, lovely, valuable. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. So what happens is truth gives us a new perspective. I just want to end with this, this last Story, analogy. Imagine that if you were like me and you had a 3.0 in college. True, barely. Barely. I got straight A's in all my Bible classes and then C's and D's, some B's. I barely got a 3.0. Imagine in high school, if I would have said, you know what, I just... I want to go to Harvard with a 3.0. Maybe my counselor said, you know, you can go to Harvard if you try. She's like, just trying to, you know, help me. Imagine that I apply to all these different schools, and I, I apply to Harvard. And I'm thinking, what I've done in the classroom doesn't merit me getting into Harvard. What I've done in my extracurriculars is not that great. I mean, I was like on student council, which meant nothing. I mean, and I put all that down, and they're going, I mean, this kid, there's nothing special. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I apply to get to Harvard, and then I, weeks later, months later, get a letter in the mail that says Harvard on it? I open it up, and it says, Congratulations, you have been accepted. Can you imagine how I would feel? I would be posting that all over the place. That is what you call grandma for. That's the epitome. Grandma, I got into Harvard. And she'd be like, You did? <laughs> Mine would. It wouldn't make any sense. But I would automatically attribute my value to the fact that I thought I wasn't good enough. And I said, I can, I will. If I, if I get in, wow, that would be way above who I really am because I'm not good enough. What I've done doesn't deserve me to get into Harvard. I would immediately believe that my value, that my stock, that who I am really went higher because, gosh, that's a success. But the reality is, and this is the new perspective you have to gain, and this might just be the beginning, is that God... Does not just accept you. He's not sitting in heaven going, apply, do good things, lots of extracurriculars, have less failures than successes, and maybe when it's all said and done, you'll get in. In fact, God is sitting in heaven. And he is not just waiting to see what you do to earn your right to be with him. He is pursuing you. Can you imagine if Harvard would have called me up and said, We want you, we want to give you the best dorm with the best bathroom. We want you to be us, we want you to wear our clothes, we want you to be our representative. The scriptures say that that's how God views you. He's not just saying, Do good and I'll accept you. He's saying, I love you. You are so valuable to me that I'm going to leap out of heaven and pursue you because I love you for who you are. And you might sit there and go, I haven't done enough. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. God is going, No, 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 no. You for you is enough. I died on a cross for you. I'm pursuing you. So many of us go through life just hoping that our successes and our failures level out to where we will be accepted. Just accepted. I just want to be accepted. I don't even need to be in the front row. I just need to be in. Just get me in. I want to be on the roster. Just legally blonde, whatever. Just get me in to Harvard. I just want accepted, and the reason that you believe that in terms of your relationship with God is because you see you based upon the jar, you see you based upon the tent, and God sees you based upon what is inside. And he doesn't just accept you, he pursues you. He wants you in his house, he's called you his son. The scriptures are literally riddled with texts that say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, that he has adopted you into his family, that he has blessed you with every blessing in the spiritual realms, that he has brought you into a relationship with him, that he has wiped away your sin, that he says, I love you for you. Do you see you the way God sees you? That's what's gonna change your life, is when you look beyond. You don't lose heart. You see, when you don't lose heart, you fail, and you go, "My failures don't define me. I'm just going to get back up and try again." When you fail, you know, you know you can keep going, because your failures don't define you. You just know I can keep going, I can keep working, I can keep trying. God loves me for me. Let me pray for you guys, God. This is so huge and so many of us, we, we don't see ourselves this way and, and we certainly don't see other people this way. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to see beyond, help us to fix our eyes on who we are and who you've called us to be. And help us to start, God, to see other people that way too to look around us and, and stop looking at the jar and stop looking at the, at the tent that is this world and say, there's something beyond. There's something in their eyes. There's, there's their soul. They are created in the image of God. God, just change us. Change our perspective. Give us more truth. Help this to change us from this day forward. God, we are all gonna fall. Help us all to get back up the next time we do because of who we are. In Jesus' name. Thank <laughs> you.